Please join me for the prayer of illumination. Let us pray. Gracious God, since we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth, make us hunger for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from Proverbs 17, verse 17, Proverbs 17, verse 22, and Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Hear these words. A friend loves at all times, and kinsfolk are born to share adversity. A cheerful heart is a good medicine, but a downcast spirit dries up the bones. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and gives it light to all those in the house. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. So for those of you who don't know me, my name's Christopher Eddy. Uh, my family and, and I, we joined, or shall I say rejoined Chapelwood about uh, a year ago now. And uh, I'm kind of glad to be here. I'm honored to be here and have been asked to, to speak today to you all. Um, I was texting, you know, a couple of my friends uh, when I was asked to, to do this, said they don't really know the kind of words that can come out of my mouth, do they? <laughs> You know, the kind of non-glorifying words that might come out, you know, when people like LeMayhew hits a two-run home run to tie it up in the top of the fourth. Not, you know? So, with that being said, please, please join me in a moment of prayer. Lord, please help the words that I speak today to glorify you, to build you up, to help others see the light of your love in the way that we can impact other people, and the way that we can grow to become more like the person you intended us to be. These things we pray. Amen. So the topic I'm going to talk a little bit about today is the intersection of faith, friendship, and mentoring. Um, I'm going to focus more on faith and friendship than I'm on the mentoring piece. Mentoring, uh, you, could, you could best characterize, I think, in my mind, as giving this, the, to someone else the, the act of friendship but at the same time, receiving friendship from that person as well. So there'll be more about mentoring as an adult, which you can do for youth in the newsletter coming up uh, next month. Before I start talking a little about some of my faith journey, I want to give you a perspective about where I came from. Um, you know, it's, it's not always sort of the, the most pleasant of experiences, but I want to have you understand a little bit sort of the darkness that I emerged from in, in my faith journey. So I'll explain a little bit of that. Hopefully it doesn't make you too squeamish to hear a few of the things that I've been through. So, so for me growing up, Sundays were for football. <laughs> you know, hence the football jersey. <laughs> so it wasn't about going to church. I was baptized but other than an occasional, you know, prayer at Thanksgiving and maybe at Christmas, there's no mention or any indications of faith in, in my family's life. We never stepped foot in the church the whole time I was growing up. So my father 
could probably be easily described. He was an alcoholic. He was an emotionally absent ticking time bomb. I'm sure many of you haven't had the experience of suddenly finding police officers in your home as a young child. So that's some of the backdrop that I was dealing with in my youth growing up. And as we're going through that, growing up, me and my family, um, my mother one time commented, or she would actually say quite often, says, you're like Eeyore. So what's Eeyore like? Somebody know? Oh, woe is me. Anybody know Eeyore? Any Eeyores in their lives? Sarah raised her hand in the first service. So I'm not as bad as I used to be. So, um, you know, when I was in high school, I um, had moved around a lot. So by the time I hit high school, I was in Arkansas. And I was in a Sunday school class, and um, not a Sunday school, I was in a social studies class, and they were talking about Hinduism. And I started thinking a little bit about faith questions, okay, what to believe, why to believe, is there a God, is there not a God? And I started asking these sorts of questions, and I decided, well, there's not a lot of Hindu temples in Arkansas. <laughs> So one of my friends that I'd, I'd started to hang out with, he's uh, one of my fellow baseball players. So I don't have the build of a football player. You, you all realize that, right? <laughs> so I played baseball in high school, and one of my uh, teammates, he invited me to go to church with him, and I started going to church with him just to start exploring these faith questions. Unfortunately, that same individual ended up dying in a car accident him and uh, one of my other friends. And it happened right at a time when my older brother had moved off and gone off to college, so I'd lost that companion. And then one of my other friends had also gone off to college as well. So the four closest people that I had hung out with were suddenly out of my life. So here I am, Eeyore, right? Woe's me sad, lonely, feeling like I didn't have any friends at all. And, you know, I think the low point that I really hit wasn't actually when the car accident occurred that, where my friends died. It was a little bit later on. I remember as I was trying to build new friendships and make new connections, you know, I wanted to hang out with some of the popular kids. I don't know why I decided that, but I did. And I remember this one kid, he threw a rock at me from across the parking lot and hit me right here on the right eye. And there's still a small scar you can see on my eye in amongst the wrinkles. <laughs> yeah, that is a joke, that's right. <laughs> um, so I remember walking into the school at that moment, tears coming down my face and blood coming down my face. I was at the low point, right? And, you know, it's kind of at this point that I think I started to realize the essence of the first verse from Proverbs that we read today. A friend loves at all times. Friends accept us for who we are. As the person God made us to be, right? And 
it, making that realization, I went into my senior year in high school with the expectation I'm going to hang out with people that I like and know accept me for who I am. So I went off to college and, um, you know, I still had this Eeyore persona, right? And I found that, you know, there's people around me who were happy and I wanted a piece of that. I wanted a piece of that happiness, right? And I wanted to kind of take that and apply it and have a happy family as I got older as an adult. So I was a bit like a moth drawn to flame. I was a sad person drawn to happy people. And, you know, you could think of, all right, how, what do you do with that, right? Well, I made that decision at that point in time that happy people correlated with Christian people. They seemed happy, at peace. I wanted a piece of that. I was exploring my faith. I was starting to ask these faith questions still. And so I started going to church with a friend of mine by the name of Kurt Hill in college. And, you know, I think, you know, one of the things I realized about this time was part of the essence of the next verse from Proverbs. So, basically where, it, it reads, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Happiness is contagious, right? It's, it's something that you get around it, and you, you can't help but be affected. I think of it like people like my children, when I come home from work and after having a bad day, and they come running up to you. They're just so excited to see you. That happiness and enthusiasm immediately turns the bad day into a good one. And adults, we know, happy people, if you see them, they're almost like so happy, it can almost be obnoxious sometimes. <laughs> my, my wife is one of these individuals. <laughs> so, and I, I mentioned earlier, there's another person that kind of comes to my mind when I think of happy people. One individual, Sam Crabtree, if you know him, he's often a greeter that meets people in the front of the, of the church as they're walking in. When I think of Sam, I think of a big, happy grin on Sam, right? You know him. So, so be careful. There are some infectiously happy people around. So, so they kind of exemplified what I wanted to have when I was going through some of the toughest times of my life. And I kind of gravitated towards and I kept trying to work on. And Besides my friends, I found that, all right, authors are also helpful in terms of getting life sorted out and finding happiness and peace in life. And these are people who took the time to write down things that they figured out in life to kind of help other, other people. They serve people in that way. And I'm very fortunate to have had that happen. Um, we can think of the pro these verses from Proverbs in that context, right? And I'm surprised we don't read more from Proverbs, right? I think these are some, you know, the book of Proverbs, that might have been one of the first self-help books that maybe was ever written, right? So, but one of the books that really struck me as a, as a young adult in my 20s was a book called Man's Search for Meaning. It was written by Viktor Frankl. And if you know who that is, he was a Jewish prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp. And he was a psychologist. And one of the things he did when he was in the concentration camp is he studied what was going on there. 
And he made this conclusion. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. For me, trying to find happiness, that was a powerful realization. I realized happiness is not a set of circumstances that happen to us. Happiness is a choice. It's not always an easy choice, right? I mean, you can make the choice, but then, okay, it, hey, it's still not working. So it, it, it took a little bit of application as well, you might say, right? And when I think of the aspect of application of happiness, how to apply this aspect of choice, you know, I think one of the things I just recently read, and I think it's summarized beautifully in the Message Study Bible by Eugene Patterson, or Peterson. And so what he said, we can go to the next slide, we'll read it. It says, we don't become cheerful by avoiding what is painful. In fact, one of the surprising things is that some of the most cheerful people you meet are those most often confronted with tragic circumstances. And I want to pause there for a moment before I read the rest. We talk about cheerful people undergoing tragic circumstances. I know at least three individuals in this church within the last couple of years who've experienced cancer. And they have been role models to me under those circumstances in the way they went about their life trying to maintain a happy attitude. It's not an easy thing to make the best of tough circumstances. So we don't become cheerful by avoiding what's painful. Well, there we go. I just read that one. Let's, let's go to the next one. So the rest of that, this commentary says, the source of the cheerful heart is the conviction that the world and our existence is at the center good. That God is working continuously, not only for good, but for our good. That beneath all the misery and the pain of our common lives is the reality of grace working toward a predestined good. If you can believe that, you can maintain a cheerful heart, and that will be medicine to both you and to everyone around you. Happiness is infectious, right? It's definitely infectious by those of us who figured this aspect out, this verse out, and sort of this summation that Patterson has so neatly described. So, obviously you can tell the point of me explaining these things and mentioning these things is, is God has changed me. The light of God has changed me. I'm in a happier spot now. I don't feel as lonely as I used to. I have plenty of friends to choose from. And it's a great thing. But without some of the mentors and people who have come into my life, uh, you know, these changes would not have occurred. I've done six years of counseling, and it helped me immensely to, to learn some of the things I needed to learn to have healthy relationships. I've had pastors stand up in the front of the church, give me information and help and guidance that I needed to have to make changes in my life and connect with God. I've had supervisors who pointed me at books, giving me guidance from a leadership perspective. There's a lot of parallels to leadership and interpersonal relationships. There's historical figures. One of my favorite historical figures is Teddy Roosevelt. 
That is a man who is comfortable in his own skin. If you know anything about him, you know that. He's a character. There's also a whole bunch of people in this church. I wrote down about 30 names last week of people that, besides just modeling happiness, they model what it means to have God working in their, their lives. Basically, when I see these kind of people who've entered into my life at the times they've entered into my lives, the books and the circumstances, I see God's fingerprints all over them. That's what helped me to change. Now my growth continues, and when I think in terms of friends, because I still need that growth, I still need that model. I'm shifting more from needing a focus on happiness to having more of a focus on servanthood. I still have plenty of room to grow on the other areas too, right? But two of my closest friends, one is currently studying to be a rector, another's John, my friend John Faye. That man, he's got a full-time job right now, he's, he's just serving others. You know, I've seen him scrambling around, so I want to be more like them, right? To me, that's what friendship is. I gravitate to people that I want to be more like to help me connect closer to God and be the better person God destined me to be. So if we can go to the next slide. I know God now because the way others live their lives. It drew me in. Not hellfire and brimstone. Not you're going to go rot because you're making wrong choices. I've come to know God because my friends gave me a model of something I want to gravitate towards. So when you think of the verse in Matthew, the verse in Matthew that was read earlier, it's verses that follow right after the Beatitudes. A lot of good characteristics that are mentioned in the Beatitudes, but I didn't want to talk about that. I wanted to talk about the light. You see, a lot of us have lights that maybe aren't as bright as others, right? But they're still lights. They still might be able to light somebody else's path on the way out of darkness. Instead of worrying so much whether our light's brighter than if we worry about learning what we need to learn from God to become a better individual, naturally our light will grow a little bit brighter. Now even if we've got a bright light, there's obviously in some cases where there's a bit of mud, a bit of dirt on our light. That's the way God intended it to be. One of the things I've mentioned to Pastor Peter is that I don't want him to be a perfect preacher. I like him imperfect. Those imperfections help us relate to each other as individuals. When we see the imperfection in another person, it gives us a chance to interact with one another, to help one another through a tough time. One of the difficult things I think i found in terms of friendship is recognizing the cues from other people on when they need somebody to reach out to them. I mean, there's about 30 different people in this church that I've noticed that have that kind of servant attitude. There's more. I just don't know you all yet, right? And one of those individuals, when we changed churches a year ago, I spoke with, and she had a lot of kind words to say to me as we were making the choice and choosing. It's not easy leaving a church and choosing to go to another church. There's a lot of relationships I left behind at our, our last church that are still very near and dear to me. They still are models to me 
on what a Christian is. So I want to encourage you all to let your light shine. Recognize the cues when you see a friend in need. Recognize your own internal cues and when you need to ask a friend for help. And I hope that in this season of stewardship that you'll find that you'll take the time to be generous throughout the year. You'll find time to connect with each other, to help each other. You know, the verse that's up there right now on the screen is a verse that uh, Pastor Peter recommended, you know, when you knew what I was going to talk about. And I already picked out the verses. It's like, man, okay, I got to add this one in. It's perfect. It says, iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens the wits of another. Sundays aren't just for football anymore, for me. They're for church as well. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.